Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the Donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. Let's jump in. Get your Bibles out. We're going to go to Nehemiah. And we are wrapping up our series today on this Dare to be Different. And we're talking about how Nehemiah sets out for us this pattern of living that is so fundamentally different from how so many people live their life. Now, I've loved this. You've been giving us good feedback. And some of you have been in your growth groups and you've been talking about the lessons you've learned. And so the principles we've been sharing together, I started off the series and I said, dare to be different. Live your life on purpose. Don't just live an ordinary life. Live an extraordinary life. Doesn't mean you have to do amazing things. It means you're intentional with the life that God gave you. And so live your life. And Nehemiah has helped us to understand that. And we've looked progressively at how do you live your life on purpose. So some of the principles we've been learning is that you're unique. God's given you a calling. You can live your life on purpose. The other thing we talked about is that you know that if you're breathing, you're going to be criticized. How many have ever been criticized? Oh, yeah. If you're breathing and you have a vision, there will always be somebody who doesn't understand it and they have a better way to do it. So you're going to be criticized. You go, no, nobody's ever criticized me. Not to your face. We've all been criticized. So we know from Nehemiah, it doesn't matter what we choose to do, if we choose to be intentional, listen carefully, if you choose to be intentional about your life, they may not say it to your face, but they're telling everybody else. And how do you handle criticism? We went through that. The other thing I thought was powerful that we learned together, that often the opposition we face comes from our friends, not from our enemies. How many of you have family that have opposed you? Oh, this is a good time. Husbands, don't raise your hands. Yeah. Opposition can surprise you, the source of it. You know, critics, they don't mind coming out and lambasting you for what you're choosing to do, but opposition sometimes can be internal. And sometimes it's not just family, it's church family. And that makes it even a little more difficult because sometimes well-meaning people will oppose you because they don't understand the vision that God's given to you. And Nehemiah experienced that very thing. As he charted his vision for the future and what God had called him to, he found that even internally within his own group of people, here he is sacrificing, giving his life, giving everything towards the vision. And people were challenging him. So we learned how to deal with that. And I, I really appreciated the message last week where Pastor Rick reminded us that we have to learn how to view our lives from God's perspective Because we can be a little bit hard on ourselves. I don't know about you, but there are times that we can mentally, emotionally, spiritually beat ourselves up because we fail, we fall down, we do it wrong, and we just go, why would God ever put up with me? And we learn that God's view and understanding of us is radically different than ourselves. And we know that failure is not fatal, right? We can fall, but we can get back up again. And Nehemiah shows us how to do that. And so today, I'm very excited about what we're going to learn together. And here's what I want to take you in. Very simple thought. How will you be remembered for the life that you have lived? How will I be remembered for the life that I have lived? So often what it comes down to is when we think about the people in our lives. Now, take a moment, think about it. Who are the people in your orbit, people that you know, how are you going to remember them? Maybe a boss, maybe a coworker, maybe a growth group leader, a pastor, maybe your spouse. When, when their life is past... What's going to be the memorable moment for you? 
Was it a character trait? Was it a quality? Was it an accomplishment? What was it about that life that deemed worthy of the memory that you give to them? Now, I've been privileged. I've been able to travel so many different places. So I've been in countries and cities and villages and different environments, but I've discovered something that no matter where I go, invariably, I can always find somewhere in a city or in a country where there will be a statue, a monument, a cathedral, or a tower that has been erected in memory of either a hero or a great leader in the country. And when you realize what's going on there, this is a country or this is a group of people that goes, we, we want to remember these individuals. And I got thinking about monuments. Now, those of you that know me, when I start thinking, that's a dangerous thing. Ask my wife. So I got, I got wondering, were they being honored because they were legendary or were they being honored for their legacy? Watch that carefully. There is a huge difference between those two words. Were they being honored because they were legends? Or were they being honored because of the legacy? So I put it down this way. Legends, they accomplish something that stands out for a moment in time. It erupts like a ball of fire and it fizzles out almost as quickly. And so we can almost time stamp it. But people who have legacies, they accomplish something that stands the test of time. Do you know the difference now? So often what we do is we become enamored by the people who did something in a moment in time. And then you have these people who stand the test of time. And there's such a difference when you know what you're living your life for. In fact, let's just explore this a little bit. If I were to say to you the name Chesley Sullenberger, anybody know that name? Show of hands. One, two, three, four. Hmm, that's interesting. If I were to say the name Captain Sully, how many of you would know that name? Whoa. Ten years ago, January 15th, Captain Sully piloting Air, uh, United Airlines 1549 out of New York landed the plane on the Hudson's River, Hudson River because of mechanical failure. In a moment, he became a legend. Ten years later, three hands. Isn't that interesting? So what we do is we become enamored of this. Now, let me flip it around. How many of you know Isaac Newton? Oh, how come? The law of gravity. How many have fallen? <laughs> we thank him for understanding why we fell. He helped us understand, and he gave us some of the laws of science and physics, and he was a brilliant thinker and leader. But what he did is he gave something that outlived the moment in time. It stands the test of time. He passed it on and became a legacy thing. And here's what we begin to understand. Am I living to be a legend, or am I living to leave a legacy? So I thought we should play a little game. You guys game? I thought we should play a little game. We should play legend or legacy. And I'm going to be your host. Thank you for electing me. So we're going to play a little bit of a game. And I'm going to put a couple of pictures up on the screen. I want you to tell me who it is. And then I want you to shout out in your best voice, legend, legacy. Everybody all right? First picture. Here we go. Who is it? Bill Gates. Legend or legacy? Legacy. Ah, a little divided room. Next picture. Who is it? It's right on the bottom. Henry Ford. Thank you. Woohoo! The people in the front row with the good sight going, eh. Legend or legacy? legacy? Depends if you drive his cars or not. Next picture, who is it? Oh, now I know which room this is. We got Beetle Junkies in the room. Legend or legacy? legacy. 
Uh, I don't know. Let's go to the next one. Who is it? Legend or legacy? Ooh. Oh, one legend and 99 legacies. All right, next picture. Here we go. Who is it? Laura, you were in the first service. You're cheating. All right, it's the Wright brothers. Ah, legend or legacy? All right, next picture. Who is it? Daniel Clark. Legend or legacy? Oh, I'm in so much trouble when Daniel comes back. Here's a question. If I put your picture on the screen, are you a legend or a legacy? See, when you get to the end of life and you draw your last breath, the other people are going to choose. You don't get to choose. But when you live your life, you get to choose. You get to paint your picture right now. You get to start sketching what it's going to look like. You can be a moment in time, or you can live a life that's going to stand the test of time. So when I look at a guy like Nehemiah, right away what really strikes me is here's a guy that accomplished all kinds of incredible things. Just circle back into the mindset for a moment. This was a man who convinced the king of Persia to release him from his duty so that he could go rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. This is a man that enabled himself to call leaders into action to build a wall. He conscripted people to pick stones. That's, that's amazing. How many people would sign up to say, yeah, I want to do that. I want to pick stones and put them into a wall. He was able to do that. This is a man that protected the city from critics and enemies and all the tactics of warfare that they tried to impose upon them. This is a man that was able to celebrate something that nobody else had done. In 52 days, they built the wall of Jerusalem, something that people had not done for 90 years. So it would seem we should be building a monument to Nehemiah because he was a legend. But I would pose to you that if we built him a monument, we'd be doing him a huge disservice because he did not want to be a legend. This was not about a moment in time. He wanted to be a legacy. He wanted to stand the test of time. And I want to show you in his life, and I want to give you three keys that I think are going to be really important because you get a chance to paint your picture, and I want you to paint the right picture before you draw your last breath or before Jesus comes back. Let's choose to be legacies together. All right, get your notes out. Let's take them down. Go into your growth groups. Talk about it. How do you build legacy type of lives? Number one, write these words down. Travel together. Travel together. Nehemiah refused to be a solo act. He was a powerful leader. We read him in the context, but one of the things you realize about him right away, everything that he did, he included other people into his story. He recognized that life was meant to be lived together with other people. And that's exactly what the faith journey that we're on is all about. He intentionally chose to be a part of a group of people to whom he was fully committed, and likewise, they were fully committed to him. Now, this isn't a new concept for human beings, if you think about it. Over the course of humanity's existence, people have clustered together in tribes and clans and families. We get together in groups and bands and huddles. We use logos and symbols and branding and clothing. Even language becomes identifiers as to who's in or who's out. It permeates our sports culture, fashion culture, social culture, even church culture. We like to identify. We like to know who's in and who's out. But you see, for Nehemiah, it wasn't about identity It was about calling and purpose. He wasn't looking for people to follow him so that they could say, we're part of this clustered, unique, individual tribe. He was looking for people to gather together around a common purpose and a common calling so that they would understand that we're on a journey towards something significant together, that our spiritual roots have given us a foundation and a reason to be together. And Israel had lost sight of that. 
They'd lost sight of their God and they'd lost sight of their purpose. And so Nehemiah steps back into the picture and he begins to call them back into relationship. It was about inspiring and equipping a group of people. Listen, traveling together is always about investing in people, not a project. Not a project. As soon as a leader moves into project mode, you know they've lost and they're moving towards legendary activities. But when it's about people, you're going to be into legacy mode. Think about your life right now. Do you invest the majority of your time into the people around you, or is it always about the projects that you're trying to do? And that's a bit of a challenge. So Nehemiah was always calling people into relationship. Look in your Bibles or in your notes, Nehemiah 11, 1 and 2. We read this, that now the leaders of the people settled in Jerusalem. This is after they rebuilt the walls. The rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of every ten of them to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while the remaining nine were to stay in their own towns, the people commended all who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. So stop for a moment. Why is this so important? And why would they put the word the holy city? Now remember what God said when Israel was coming into the land. If you're new to the Bible, let me give you a little bit of a history lesson. God says, if you'll trust me, you'll follow me, you'll serve me, I will dwell among you. I will be your God and you will be my people. God had called people into community, and Israel had failed to keep up their part of the agreement. They'd failed to trust God. So here Nehemiah rebuilds the wall. What does he do? He removes the disgrace, and he brings honor back to the city. And then the leaders go, we're going to live in this city. See, up to this point in time, people were spread all throughout the region. They were living in small villages. The city was not a place to live. It was in shambles. It was in disrepair. And it was exposed to enemy's threats. So when you rebuild the wall, now there's a reason to go back in because you have some form of security. And the leaders led the way. And then I love how they invited people to come. They had a lottery. So rather than pick, you know, families and say, would you consider coming? They actually picked straws. So you didn't even have a choice. They go, one out of every 10 people. How would you love to have that? What's the principle here? One out of every ten need to sell their house and move to the church. You willing? I didn't think so. All right, just check and see if you're still with me today. So here he has a lottery system, and what are we discovering? Why were they doing this? It wasn't simply about repopulating Jerusalem. It was restoring the epicenter of spiritual life, that there would be a band of people committed to each other in spiritual community, living together, serving together, and establishing core spiritual foundation together. This was disruptive, it was inconvenient, it was risky, it was courageous, and yet the people were willing to go. People who leave legacies understand that it's always worth the investment of living life in community with others. Our challenge is, there are so many other good activities to get involved in. If you look at our spiritual heritage and you look at church community heritage, we often will put the activities and the community fellowship that we used to engage in at the forefront. And if you've watched over the years, you see how church is now being relegated to a background event that if it's convenient, I'll be there. If it's accessible, I'll be there. But we'll put our priority activities at the forefront of our schedules. And Nehemiah's going, no, 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 we're going to turn this all around again. And I need the leaders to be in Jerusalem and I need people to repopulate the city because God will be our God and we're going to be his people. We see the same principle. Look in your notes, Acts 2.46, 47. This is about the band of followers of Jesus. 
It says they worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. They shared their meals with great joy and generosity, and all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. That's a snapshot. That's a picture of people who would leave a legacy. It's because of what they did that we're seated here today. It's because of their commitment to be in community, to travel together, that we get to sit together in a church and understand the faith heritage that's been passed on to us. Traveling together always requires people to choose legacy over legendary. And if you want to leave a legacy, you have to learn how to travel in community. Number two, write it in your notes. You need to keep the faith. Now, that's a very simple statement. We've been raised in a culture that has taught us that if we can just believe in ourselves with a good, healthy dose of optimism, and if we have a real powerful work ethic, we will be successful in everything that we want to do. Now, some of that's true. But I also want to challenge this. Believing does not mean doing. It doesn't always translate to doing. It should, but it doesn't in our culture. It's not simply a matter of believing the right things. It's doing the right things. And here's where we see the success of Nehemiah's legacy. He wanted to inspire a new generation of people, not merely to believe that Jehovah, Yahweh, was their God. He wanted to inspire a brand new generation to to actually begin to live in relationship with God. That's why they resettled Jerusalem. They needed to begin to restore the core foundations of their spiritual legacy and their heritage. Israel wasn't facing such a dismal situation because the walls had been broken down. They were in such a dismal state because their faith had broken down. Their trust in God had broken down. And so here was the challenge that Nehemiah was facing. Now think about this. As soon as the walls were rebuilt, all those stones were back up in place. And I showed you pictures of that and what the wall would have looked like. As soon as all of that's back in place, Nehemiah understood something. That human nature begins to rely upon the visible for their sense of security. And the people would begin to rely upon a stone wall that that would protect them and give them comfort for the rest of their lives. And he knew that you cannot put your focus in the wall. You've got to put your focus in God. And it's not all that different for us, is it? It's just that our walls look different. Sometimes our walls are our bank account or our homes. Our jobs, our career, our education. Sometimes the walls that we rely upon, they're our kids and our families. And Nehemiah recognized, and we're learning something, that when it comes to keeping the faith, we recognize that security is not found in stone. Security is found in our Savior. It doesn't matter what you call your stone. We all have them. Security is not found in the things that we can actually write down on the piece of paper. Security for Nehemiah was to trust in the power of the invincible God, not walls, that could absolutely be demolished again if they fell out of favor with God. So the learning of how to keep the faith becomes powerful. Now, we don't have time to do this today, but here's what I want to encourage you to do. Nehemiah chapter 10 is worth the time to read. Because when they commit themselves, there's something powerful. I want to read a verse, Nehemiah 10, 29. It says this, that the people solemnly promised to carefully follow all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord our God. Now, how many were here last Sunday? Quick show of hands. All right. Remember Pastor Rick talked about when they started to read the scripture at the beginning of the morning and they read for how many hours? Laura, don't answer. Six hours. I get you for two. Okay, 35 minutes. For six hours. So we know that they're together reading for six hours and look what they say. 
They solemnly promise to follow all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord your God. How many of you can remember what you said six hours ago? (laughs) I can't. So here is Ezra's reading, the scribes are reading, and they're going, Yes, we promise we're going to follow everything. And you're going, No, you're not. You've already forgotten. You can't even remember ten minutes ago. But what they were subscribing to is they're going, We understand this principle that we drifted from our faith heritage and we, we, we need to re-engage, not just believe, we need to do the things that are important to the spiritual life of our community. Can I just call this out for all of us this morning? That if we don't hold tight to our faith core foundations, we will drift and we see it everywhere. So I started going through chapter 10 of Nehemiah and I was looking at some of the things. I thought it was fascinating. I can't go through all of them. But one of the first things that they did is they said, we need to return back to God-honoring relationships. And the number one that they attacked was marriage. They looked around and they realized that they were intermarried into the nations of people around them. And this wasn't about intercultural marriage. This was about spiritual blending. They had married into cultures of mysticism and polytheism, some multiple gods, and they realized what was happening is these marriage unions were causing them to compromise in their relationship, their singular devotion to God, and they go, we can't do this and expect a better future. We can't start blending our lives in relationship and then expect that we're going to come out at the other end. And so they said, we need to keep the faith, and one of the ways to keep the faith is that we need to make sure that our marriages, which will then perpetuate our future, are anchored on common spiritual ground. That's what Paul picks up, isn't it? He talks about that in Corinthians. He says, don't be unequally yoked, tied together. He said, be careful when you're choosing your partners for life that you don't take somebody who's from the pathway of Christ, from the pathway of light, and you tie into someone whose belief system is still immersed or steeped in darkness. Because he said, when you bring those two things together, you think you're going to change the other person's mind. But nine times out of ten, the other person changes your mind. Can I just tell you, pause moment here as a pastor. If you're a young person, young adult, or maybe older in life, and you're thinking about getting married, be very intentional about who you choose to be your partner. Because the majority of people that I meet when they come to talk to me about marriage, they are just bubbling over with joy and emotion and happy feelings. That stuff's all going away. (laughs) Anybody who's married said... Except my marriage. I'm still happy, filled with emotions and joy. Pray for me online. Just pray. Feelings fade. Feelings fade. Facts don't. And I would challenge you. Because you'll get caught in the moment of emotion and say, Don't worry. And I've heard heard this so many times. It's okay, Pastor. I'm going to be able to bring them into faith with Jesus. And I just want to write on the card, it's nice knowing you, and hand that back to them. And here's what I discover. Often what we will do is we'll compromise for our own personal comfort rather than live and keep our faith and stand firm on our convictions and foundation because it's not about what makes me feel happy. It's what gives me success and certainty in my future that trusting God and living according to his principles is going to ensure success in my life. And so, can God work through broken situations? Absolutely. Paul speaks to that. The Bible speaks to that. Jesus speaks to that. But if you're making choices before you make your life choice, they recognize they'd messed this up big time. So they were about to get this all reworked again. The other thing I looked at, I thought this was quite fascinating. Verse 31, they looked at their work week. 
And they said, wow, we have messed this up. We haven't been honoring the Sabbath. You're going, well, okay, now you're getting into religion and observation. No, no, I just want you to hear a principle here. They realized that they were worshiping their work rather than using their work as worship. Think about that. Do you worship your work or is work your expression of worship? And there is a fundamental difference here. And one of the ways you can quickly tell is when you go home, is work following you? Are you consumed by it? Is it what it takes? You take it to the bed and you're still going through your iPhone or your iPad or whatever, your electronic device. First thing in the morning, you wake up again and that's the first thing that comes to your mind. And they recognized that the core foundation of their faith was relationship with God, not the work. The work was the way they worshiped God. And healthy patterns, we are to rest, right? We are to work from our rest, not rest from our work. And our North American culture has reversed this. And we slam into the weekend and go, I am so exhausted. And maybe I'll just watch Portico online. And if you're in Mississauga this morning, (laughs) why do we do that? And yet they realized, they said, no, there's a principle here. That if we get our lives right and we understand and we get our relationships right and we get our work right, then God's blessing just begins to be released. And there's so much more in chapter 10, and I'll leave it with you to go look at this. But we find that this impact in their world translated some 500 years later, Acts chapter 2, 42, look in your notes. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals and including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. Now, none of these choices, decisions, or activities will save you. You know that, right? Only Jesus saves. Faith in Jesus Christ is the only thing that saves. And yet here's a band of people who are traveling together that devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to prayer, to to the Lord's communion. Why were they doing that? They were established in their faith and they realized if you want to leave a legacy, you have to have a faith foundation. And faith foundations come through commitment, not through casual input. So after it's all said and done, some of us are painting pictures and we're going to be a legend. But that's going to fade. And I would challenge us to paint a picture that's going to leave a legacy. In my office, there are two books on my desk, just behind my desk. They're priceless to me. They're on the credenza. And if you were to break in and steal them, they would not be worth anything to you. So some of you can just stop taking notes there. The two books that I have in my office, the first one is my grandmother's Bible. And in the cover of the Bible and throughout the leaf of the Bible and in the notes are, are notes, handwritten notes in the margin of thoughts, impressions, different things she picked up on on her faith journey. And that sits there as a reminder of somebody who helped us keep the faith. The second one was my father's study Bible that he used for the years of his ministry that he pastored in the church. They're together in my office as a reminder that I have been given an incredible gift that it's not just about believing something. It was people who actually lived it in relationship with God. And my challenge to you is, let's leave legacies. Some of you are blessed to have children. Yes, it is a blessing. I know you're wondering about it. You're blessed to have children. You get the chance to steward a life, to instill in them a foundation of faith. Please, Look at your life and ask a question. Will they remember me because I did something legendary or will they remember me because I left them a legacy? And I don't want my son to look at my life and go, you know, there was a time that dad did. I want him to look at my life and go, that's who my dad was. And if that stamps my life, then I feel like that was a success. And I want that for you too. So let's choose to keep the faith. And if you're taking notes, number three, write this down. 
live beyond yourself. There is so much proof that this principle works. You go, what what do you mean? I want you to choose to live beyond the 60, 70, 80, or maybe 90 years that you have breath in your lungs. Because here we are some 2,500 years later, and we're studying the life of Nehemiah. So this is a man who wasn't a legend. He was a legacy because his story is continuing to impact all of us today because the Holy Spirit picked up that story and has it recorded for us to learn from because he did something that was powerful. He understood that you choose to live your life beyond yourself. And it's a choice that you make each and every day of your life. Look at Nehemiah 13 verse 14. Here's what Nehemiah says. Remember me for this, my God. And do not blot out what I have so faithfully done for the house of my God and for its services. I love that verse. Nehemiah gets up and he prays, God, just remember me for all that I have done and every way that I have invested into the house of the Lord. So he wasn't apologetic. He wasn't ashamed. He wasn't embarrassed. He understood something that the motive and ambition of his life was singular in nature that he wanted God to be the center of his life. And so he could pray with such sincerity and he was going to live beyond himself. And so he goes, God, just bless me. And we know the blessing was there in his life because we read about it. Now, I'm going to give you a verse of scripture. It's not in your notes. I want you to write it down. I think everybody should know this one. Proverbs chapter 13 and it's verse 22. Here's what it says. A good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. Isn't that a great verse? Barry, they didn't believe me. Isn't that a great verse? It is. A good, are you a good person? <laughs> oh, help the room here. I lost everybody. I think you're good people. So all of you good people watching online and in the room today, good people leave an inheritance to who? Their children's children. So I read that and I realized that's the grandchildren, Right? Okay, so a good person leaves an inheritance to their grandchildren. Then I started to think, my grandparents, they bailed on me. (laughs) They didn't leave me any inheritance. They didn't give me a bank account. They didn't leave me any money. They didn't leave me any stocks. They didn't leave me any property. And I'm thinking, what kind of grandparents did I have? (laughs) Then a smile came to my face because I'm a dad. I have a son and he has no kids. And I went, I have no grandchildren. I don't have to leave anything to anybody. I get to spend everything I have on myself right now. Until such a time as they decide to have children, I'm spending the inheritance, and then maybe I'll rethink that. Now, this could be a gross misinterpretation of Scripture, which you should say, yes, it is. That's not the right interpretation here. It says a good person will leave an inheritance to their children's children. See, what you did, what I did, it's what we all do. As soon as we think of inheritance, we go right to the monetary value. We go to the asset. We go to the tangible. What are you going to give me? What am I going to have? But inheritance, if you leave a legacy of wisdom, is that not a great inheritance? If you leave a legacy of faith, is that not a great inheritance? If there's two Bibles stacked in my office and I go, the blood, the sweat, the tears, and the prayers that are consumed in those two, two books, that is a, an inheritance that is priceless to me. And that means that every one of us doesn't have to strive to be the wealthiest person in the world. Some will, some won't. But all of us can leave a legacy. All of us can pass along a gift to future generations that will leave an indelible mark on them. And you will be able to know that your life truly has been the life that you wanted to live. 
you look at Scripture and you realize over and over and over that this one life that we have to live is meant to be lived intentionally. So let's strive to live for a grander vision. Let's choose to rise above. Let's live beyond ourselves because it's the only way to know that we've lived a life well. Acts chapter 2, 44 and 45. All the believers met together in one place and they shared everything that they had. They sold their property and possessions. They shared the money with those in need. Here's what I love about that picture. They huddled together. They chose not to hoard. They chose to huddle. When you hoard, you die a solitary life, a meaningless existence. When you huddle, you will die a rich life. And you'll be full of joy because you know you gave your very best. You know, I think about what my picture is going to look like at the end of my life. I don't know what I'm going to leave my grandchildren, should and when they come. But here's the picture in my mind that I hope will be there. That when they gather around my coffin, and you do the same for you, when people gather around, should the Lord tarry, they gather around your coffin. You guys know you're going to die, right? I'm happy to bring that good news to you today. So... When they gather around our coffins, I started to think, what are they going to say? What are they going to say when they look at the shell that's in the box? I know the spirit's gone. But what are they going to say about the shell? He was selfless or he was self-centered? He left us a legacy or he lived just to be a legend? Here's the beautiful part. You get to decide what picture we put on the screen. And you get to choose to do that today because Nehemiah helped us understand every one of us has the potential to leave a legacy. Ern McManus, one of my favorite authors on a recent book called Broken Arrow, wrote these words. When you come to the end of your day, you will not measure your life based upon successes and failures. All of those, he writes, will eventually blur together in a single memory that's called life. What will give you solace is a life that has been lived with nothing left undone. One that has been lived with relentless ambition, a heart on fire, and no regrets. On the other hand, he said, what will haunt you until your final breath is who you could have been and never became, and what you could have done, but you never did. My prayer for you is that you'll never be a legend, but that you'll be a legacy leader that you'll be somebody that people will aspire to be like and that the words that you'll hear from your heavenly Father will be the most coveted words of all. Well done, good and faithful servant. Amen? Father, thank you. Because those words bring so much power and poignancy to our lives. We live in a culture that bombards us and calls us and challenges us to be legends. And accomplishments are good in their right place. But the greatest value is to live a legacy and to leave it on for future generations. So I pray that you would help us to be people that choose today to begin to develop the portrait that others would look at and say, thank God they were in my life for all that they have given to me. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for watching today. Be sure to check out our other messages on this page, and you can also watch us live online every Sunday morning at 1010 a.m. Don't forget, share your story or send us a prayer request by emailing info at porticocanada.ca. You can also stay connected by liking our Facebook page or following us on Twitter at PorticoCC.